0: what could you tell us about this do you remember anything about being on the show
1: good god <laughs> <Is that> good? <laughs> you know i could be polite and say it was wonderful i had a really cool time and everybody was great or i could tell you the truth and say what the fuck i have no idea your credited role for that was uh was man oh well Led, of course i know Good God, where do you guys dig up this shit? What's up, Dueling Decades, this is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new
2: metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know, but now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. I am Mark James, and welcome back to Dueling Decades. Let's take a look at this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for in the week experience. First off, representing the week of April 21st, Through the 27th of 1985. Say hello to Man Crush.
0: What's up? Got April 21st to 27th, 1985, and it is by definition the week experience. So let's do this.
2: (laughs) And his opponent representing April 17th through the 23rd of 1994. He is the host of the One Headlight 90s podcast. Welcome back, Drew Zachman.
3: Hey guys, how are you? Glad to be back. Hope everybody's doing safe. Everybody's doing safe. Hopefully everybody's being safe. I can't even talk. I don't don't go out in public anymore. I forgot how to talk, apparently. That's what happens.
2: And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. And you will know this week's celebrity guest judge from some of your favorite movies, such as Weird Science, Inner Space, Mad Max 2, and Commando. And now, you can see him starring alongside Michael Berryman once again in the film Impact Event. Please welcome to the show, Judge Vernon Wells.
1: Thank you, guys. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm glad that everybody's well and looking after themselves and staying away from all the bad things out there, and then I get with you guys. So, God, I have no idea what I'll get.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right back to the bad shit.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judge's coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. All right, duelers, let's let off some steam as we play more dueling decades. All right, let's go right down to our judge, Vernon Wells, for the official toss off.
1: Okay, well, we're tossing up a a slice of uh, pepperoni pizza here. So, (laughs) what do you want, guys? Who wants heads? Who wants tails?
2: Drew Zachman, you call it this week.
3: I want pepperoni all day.
1: Okay, here we go. Oh, bad luck. Oh,
0: oh, it's the burnt side. All right.
2: Uh, all right, man crush. You take control of the board. What category would you like to go with first?
0: Uh, let's start this one off with television. Something that uh, Vernon will know a lot about, uh, but Again, this is the week experience. So when it comes to TV in one week, my week had a lot of reruns. So April 25th, 1985, like I said, everything was in reruns in the States this week. They went as far to show a replay of the Hagler-Hearns pay-per-view fight from the week prior. That's how bad it was on television. But we did get the NHL playoffs. They were in full swing, and we got an amazing performance from arguably the best Hockey player to ever strap on some skates in an eight to three blowout, the Edmonton Oilers swept the Winnipeg Jets to claim the Smythe Division title, and that's just part of the story because the other half, Wayne Gretzky, he went on to put up seven points in the game. Uh, he would go on to score three goals, two of which were shorthanded, which is awesome all in itself, and then four assists to absolutely decimate the Jets en route to their second Stanley Cup victory just a couple short weeks later. Wayne Gretzky, he would go on to have the most three-goal games ever in Stanley Cup playoff history, which is pretty awesome. And he's got a gazillion other records. Seriously, if you go over and just uh, do a search for how many records he has in the NHL, it will blow your mind how good this guy was. He has a record for everything. It's amazing. But my second pick, like I said, there was nothing going on in the States. We had the NHL playoffs, and we had reruns, and I didn't want to pick that. Uh, This one was a treat for me. It was April 26, 1985. It's not a typical TV pick for this game. It's not a debut. And it's also an Australian TV show. Uh, Season one, episode eight of the show Fastlane, entitled The Below Average Samaritan. And if you look at Mr. Wells' long list of like over 200 roles, whatever he has, you'll find this very episode on that lengthy list. And it was, this is pure coincidence. Uh, he was coming on the show. I started looking and I was like, Holy shit. He was on, so I have to pick it. Right. It was not set up whatsoever. Right. These dates are picked months in advance. (laughs) What could you tell us about this? Do you remember anything about being on the show?
1: Uh, when was this again?
0: This was April 26, 1985, is when it debuted. It was the show "The Fast Lane.":
1: Good God!) <laughs> it <was that> good. <laughs> you know I could be polite and say, "It was wonderful. I had a really cool time, and everybody was great, or I could tell you the truth and say, "What the fuck I have no idea."
0: <laughs> Your credited role for that was, uh, was man. Oh,
1: well, Led, of course I know. Oh, I love the
2: <laughs> role of man.
0: <laughs> there was also, a, there was two women and a man.
1: So you were the man. I was the man. So that's, that's not too bad. Hey, I'm always the man. So, <laughs> that's good. true. Good God. Where do you guys dig up this shit?
0: <laughs> Actually, you know what? And the, the, here's the, uh, the free plug for newspapers.com. We flip through newspapers one page at a time. And that's all done at newspapers.com. So if you haven't been there yet, go over to newspapers.com, especially now, and sign up for an account and flip through all kinds of retro stuff. So that's where we get that. But those are my two picks. We had that Gretzky seven-point performance and then the fast lane, uh, which Vernon Wells remembers very fondly.
1: Oh, totally, very fondly. And, and um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd say that uh, Wayne Gretzky would have to, hold a special place in my heart because if you put skates on me and put me on ice, I'm one of the world's best ass skaters that ever lived. <laughs>
2: Slide right down oh, the ice. Oh,
1: man, you know, if if God gave me anything, it definitely wasn't the ability to skate.
2: All right, let's see what Drew Zachman has for the television round.
3: All right, so i uh... Not bad, not bad for that week. Um, So first thing that I came across is actually one of my favorite shows. I actually loved watching this show. Uh, Dennis Miller Live debuted April 22nd and uh, the show ran 215 episodes. I I honestly didn't realize it ran for that long, but I went from 1994 to 2002, uh, received five Emmy Awards, 11 Emmy nominations. So pretty, pretty legit. I always, I mean, I always was a huge fan of Dennis Miller. I love his humor. It was a great show. Had a fantastic opening song. I don't know if anybody remembers it, but uh, it had everybody wants to rule the world by tears for fears. Great song. Uh, I, I felt like that was Miller at his best. Uh, I didn't think he was fantastic at hosting Monday night football. Uh, I think, <laughs> no. I think his humor, his humor's uh, meant for a, a different format. And I think this was that format. It was fantastic. I mean, some of the best TV was just Miller going on his, you know, kind of trademark rants so good uh i i watched that show quite a bit i think it was on hbo if i'm not mistaken but it was phenomenal uh dennis miller live debut so that's my first my first pick now my second pick we're still going from a a debut to the end the end of an era man you had good stuff it was not uh, it was not a, a good era or a long era for that matter uh this show started on september 16th 1993 and it was canceled on April 21st, 1994. So it didn't even make it a whole year. But uh, I am talking about the cancellation of The Sinbad Show. Now, Sinbad, I mean, who didn't watch that show? Uh, but the series, <laughs> apparently apparently anybody didn't watch that show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was too busy making
0: genie movies that nobody saw.
3: I know, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, so the, the series that follows the life of David Bryan, who's a... Carefree bachelor who becomes a single parent when he adopts two orphan children uh, who face several issues, which they work through together. Now what this show did for all of us is a debt that cannot be repaid in this lifetime or potentially even the next, because while the show had only 24 episodes, not a lot, three of those episodes gave us a most glorious gift. And that gift, sirs and ma'ams was Salma Hayek. Now, Salma Hayek was in three episodes as the character Gloria Contreras. So this was, for everything I saw and for what I remember, I did watch a couple of these episodes and it was on just like flipping through channels. This was even before she got her role in Desperado, which I think was her first movie here in the States. So this is kind of like the introduction to Salma Hayek. Obviously, we all know Salma would go on to follow up. Uh, she went on to Desperado, then after that from Dust Till Dawn. Awesome movie. And bunches of other movies where she was just amazing, fantastic actress and such. So, so much talent.
0: Then breastfeeding kids in Africa.
3: That's Hey, she can do whatever she wants, man. So So while Sinbad, the show wasn't on the same level, I think as a Dennis Miller live, uh, it did give us some a hike. So I think with that being said, uh, I'll just go ahead and start picking the next category.
2: (laughs) Well, let's see what our Judge Vernon Wells has to say about this round.
1: Oh, you mean i got to wake up now? <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, so to recap, Vernon, 1985, we had Gretzky with seven points and uh, an episode of Fastlane that you start on. In 1994, we had the debut of Dennis Miller Live in the Simbad Show, giving us Salma Hayek
1: yeah um actually i i like sinbad i hated his show but i like sinbad i thought he was quite unique and, and quite a lot of fun um and he just sort of vanished i wonder what did anybody know whatever happened to him he just after his show finished he seemed to just crawl he into just, the woodwork and, yeah he yeah. just
0: kind of stopped like house guest was hilarious Isn't i love that movie phil hartman it's a great movie and he just yeah, kind so of tailed off
3: well jingle all the way was mid 90 i think jingle all the way was after the show I was like 95, mm-hmm.
0: I want to say. Maybe that's why. He started doing more movies, and then the movies just kind of yeah. – And now he's back by.
2: on TV with Rel, so he plays the dad on that show.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Good for him. But um, I also like Dennis Miller. I thought he was uh, kind of fun. Um, a lot of those those guys are really cool to watch because they 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 tend to get a little bit out there, which is better than the normal crap you have to watch. But, I mean, I could always say that the only thing I think is plausible is the show that I was in, but uh, not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm, I'm choosing between Selma Hayek's breasts and um, Gretzi's seven points. Uh,
2: both in the Hall of Fame.
1: <laughs> both in the
2: Hall of Fame.
3: <laughs> both yes. of her breasts? <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm, I'm sorry, but being a... Um, a, a male and, and and being at that time in my life, being a horny male, I, I would have to say that Zoma, no, no, sorry. I, I'm sorry. I got to go with the boobs.
0: <laughs> I don't blame you.
2: All right. So 1994 and Drew Zachman picks up a point and keeps control of the board. Drew, what category do you want to go with next?
3: Oh, dear Lord. All right. So I'm going to go to movies or I'm going to, I'm going to do that now who early yeah not this is this is the thing right the the week experience i mean I'll, i'll talk about it a bit more in music i think but man there's a lot of good movies that came out in 94 not during this week so i am not selling this well at all so let me uh let me get started here so first movie uh it was an american western adventure film that we all went to go see and uh I'm probably going to get in trouble for my job since I was researching this movie, using my work laptop and stupidly put in the search criteria for this movie. And the movie I'm talking about is called bad girls. So (laughs) I will, uh, I need to talk to you guys over at billion decades for my unemployment to see if you guys can help me out because my, uh, my my search history is going to be coming into question, I think, but bad girls, April 22nd, 1994. Uh, it was an American Western adventure film directed by none other than Jonathan Kaplan. And it stars Madeline Stowe, Mary Stuart Masterson, Andy McDowell, and everyone's favorite, Drew Barrymore. And the plot for this was, I don't know why this movie did so poorly. Uh, The plot, basically, it follows four former prostitutes on the run following a justifiable homicide and prison escape, who later encounter difficulties involving bank robbery and Pinkerton detectives. And I will say this, this film, it's a super brisk 99 minutes that flies by. The film had a budget of around thirty million and pulled in a very impressive box office of just over fifteen million. So, <laughs> oh, I think that's a pretty, a pretty, pretty good return. You know what would have been better if they
0: weren't former prostitutes and they were just prostitutes, just current as yeah. cowboys. Yeah, I think so. I mean, have two jobs.
3: Yeah, I mean, why do you have to stop one to do the other? You could do both. Uh, but Robert uh, Roger Roger Ebert wrote, "What a good idea to make a western about four tough women, and what a sad movie." So that's, that's, what, that's what Roger Ebert had to say. But here's the thing, right? This movie had a 9% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But honestly, guys, if you do some quick math and some decimal point maneuvering. This quickly becomes a 90% fresh rating. So there you have it. Bad girls.
1: Yes. Well, you know that uh, Mr. Ebert thought that I was totally gay because my first two <laughs> movies in America were gay guys. So,
3: so exactly. So whatever Ebert has to say. Hey, no mind. <laughs> it must be true
0: if Ebert says. What did I just have like last week where Ebert called a movie that I had uh the worst movie he's ever seen. Oh, Critters 2 Yeah. <laughs> he said it was the worst movie he's ever seen in his life. It's like, what? It wasn't that bad. Come on. What do you guys think about like when especially when it's like uh guys like Ebert giving a review, how much weight do you really give that?
1: Yeah, I th- I think less than the western. <laughs> all right drew
2: what do you got for your second pick
1: all right so
3: bad girls great movie um now we're going on to uh selling it i really it's i'll tell you what a brisk 99 minutes it just flies
2: by thank god
3: (laughs) all right so i'm moving on from a movie about bad girls to a flick all about semen so how about a navy movie that features erica laniac and gary Busey? Everybody knows what I'm talking about, except I'm not because this one doesn't have that douche uh, Steven Seagal in there. However, this flick was directed by the great Dennis Hopper. I am talking about Chasers, which came out April 22nd mm. in the great year 1994. Now, this is an American comedy film directed by, again, Dennis Hopper. Uh, it's about a pair of United States Navy shore patrollers, uh, which are played by Tom Barringer and William McNamara who must escort a beautiful prisoner, Erica Alaniac, and the troubles they encounter. Now, this movie also starred Crispin Glover. Uh, Somehow, he showed up, and then the music was handled by everyone's favorite Dwight, Dwight Yoakam. My favorite Dwight's Dwight from The Office, Dwight Schrute. Different, no, everyone's favorite Dwight is definitely Dwight Yoakam, you kidding me? This movie turned out to be quite the investment as it brought in $1.6 million at the box office on a shoestring budget of $15 million. So I think the uh, investors really got a good return there. And, uh, I mean, if that wasn't enough to seal this one up, uh, this flick also starred uh, everyone's favorite, Dean Stockwell. So bonus points for the Quantum Leap reference. You're welcome, kids.
2: <laughs> All right, Man Crush, what do you have for the movie's round?
3: All right,
0: here we go. 1985. Uh, let's see. April 26, 1985. It is a cult classic. I absolutely love this movie. As a matter of fact, we've been in talks with the leading actress from this for months, and we haven't been able to nail down a date yet, but hopefully soon we'll get her on. Uh, once I drop her name at the end, hit her up. Uh, but kind of like last episode, we get another high school movie that probably could never happen in a million years but everything was possible in the eighties. And this is a story about a girl who gets shot down for her chance at working at the sun tribune for the summer and immediately rolls enrolls in another school as a guy, (laughs) you know, in the eighties, it seems like uh, anyone can enroll in high school without much documentation, which begs the (laughs) question, was it really that easy in the eighties? Nobody really knows, but this movie went on to take in around $12 million at the box office which is nearly $30 million in 2020. So that's a pretty good take for a high school comedy. Where this really had legs, though, is in the aftermarket. This was literally on cable all the time. HBO, Showtime, Cinemax. That said, if you rented it, there was a particular scene that was probably beat the fuck up on the tape from people pausing it all the time. Uh, And of course, we're talking about the Joyce Heiser classic, just one of the guys. And if uh, if you're familiar with this movie or if you next time you watch it, you'll notice in her bedroom, she's got Bruce Springsteen posters on her wall. Just so happens that they were dating during this movie for a couple of years at that point. So they gave him a little homage by putting his picture up on the wall, uh, being that she was in high school dating Bruce Springsteen, who was probably like in his 40s at the time. But if you want Joyce on the show, like I said, hit her up on Twitter Tag us in those tweets and uh, tell her to get on the show. Uh, But that's my first pick. Just one of the guys. And of course, that scene I'm talking about is a scene where she flashes her tits and uh, everyone stopped pause because it was way too quick. Uh, But my second pick, April 26, 1985, same date. Uh, I got lucky on this one. Uh, Doing research has its benefits because I found a sneak preview. And like, you know, if you listen to the show, if you find a sneak preview, you can use it. And although it's kind of odd, though, that they did a sneak peek only a week before the actual release date. I'm not sure what the reasoning was behind that, but I'm glad because otherwise I would have had a gun with the uh, Burt Reynolds stinker stick, which even has a (laughs) fucking awful name. So I did not go with that. Uh, Anyways, I I mentioned this one about a year ago. I had found the day that paintball guns were released as a hot product. And we brought this up and paintball was hot in 1985 because we had this movie. Then we had tough turf that had a paintball gun. Then we had the zero boys using markers. Nothing like Hollywood taking advantage of a trend, but this one, it happens to be the first ever motion picture to feature paintball. It's fucking awesome, right? I don't know. A little bit. Um, <laughs> not, it's not, not the first to have a paintball gun though. I would say that probably would go to tough turf. That whole scene where he, shoots the cockroaches on the wall. Uh, But this one, I think that was a paintball, right? Uh, But this one went on to make about $11 million at the box office, which is about $30 million in 2020. So that's not too bad for a movie about fucking paintball. Uh, This is the Anthony Edwards, Linda Forentino classic. Gotcha. Love that. I love this movie, except for the cringy ass scene where she's trying to uh, like bed him, you know? And she's like, you're a virgin. And she has like the worst, german accent ever so cringeworthy but i still love the movie so my second pick gotcha and my first pick just one of the guys mark that's what i got.
2: all right let's toss it right down to our judge vernon wells and hear the verdict for the movies round
1: um interesting um from both uh both uh, times 80s and 90s uh i i can actually equate with the paint paint uh Paintball gun. I used to have one, <clears throat> and I jammed it one day. And trying to uh, get the, the thing to work, I shot myself. So I found out that if you shoot yourself in the nuts with a paintball, it hurts like hell. Oh. Um, but apart from that, it's it's kind of a, an interesting thing. You know, we have uh, coyotes over where I live, and that used to be the thing that I wanted to do was shoot them in the ass with the paintball gun so that they wouldn't come <laughs> back and annoy my dog. But uh, I got talked out of it, unfortunately. But I thought that would have been just so much fun, seeing all these these multicolored coyotes racing around the hills, you know? like. That.
0: <laughs> Vernon Wells is at it again. Yeah. <laughs> it would, be, <laughs> would have been kind of
1: cool. But uh, uh, my wife didn't like that idea much. Um, but, uh, yeah, I liked that one. Um, yeah, God damn it. You, you pack of answers. You pick things that I like. You know? um, the western I like because I'm actually doing a western this year. When this um, this self-imposed exile lifts and I can actually get out from underneath my house where I'm living, I got a cave under there I'm living in because my wife hates me. You too. Um, um, I'm I'm shooting a western, um, which makes draws me towards the westerns which um, I loved. And the fact that there was a Western with uh, ex prostitutes who take on the world and win and Rob Banks and things that that you can see where my mind wanders to what we're doing with, you know. Um but uh I, I I'm sorry, but I actually uh have to give the point here to the paintball because that's kind of brings back very painful memories. <laughs> I
0: think my my movies had more titties. Oh, well, definitely. Yeah, I should have brought that up. I should have brought that up. It seems like that gets you points in this game. Um, I think I have double titties. I think gotcha and obviously just one of the guys did. Dude, I had bad girls. Yeah, but they, that was probably PG-13, bro. Doesn't matter. There's was- bad <laughs> girls. You can't have PG-13 hookers. It just doesn't
3: work. For- former, former hookers.
2: Sorry, Drew Zachman, man crush sneaks out this round by a pair. <laughs> All right, man crush, you take control of the board and tie up the game. What category are we going with next?
0: Oh, this is a tough one. Uh this is where it's, the strategy starts kicking in. But I'm gonna go with hot products here. Uh April 26 nineteen eighty five. Hot and let me just tell you, hot products in the week experience is a pain in the ass yeah, to sure find. Is. By rule, what we do with hot products is it has to be something that came out in that time period. So you need the actual release date. So to find it in a week is a pain in the ass or it's just a hot product, you know, like something that's out. So this first one, I got April 26, 1985. We get the long awaited 14 song retrospective. The doors dance on fire, which was released to the VHS market. This contained vintage footage of the doors, everything from Jim Morrison being arrested, television performances on the Ed Sullivan show, the Jonathan Winters show, the Smothers brothers, American bandstand and you know like in a time before youtube this is the only way that you got to see their best stuff you had to wait for it to come out on vhs and this is what it was like right. two decades later or maybe like two and a half after his death now you're finally getting this rayman zeric masterpiece cuz he put this thing together and you had everything on it, it had uh, light my fire you had the original promo for unknown soldier live performance of the end people are strange rider of the storm everything break on through. And then they had the director's recut that Ray Manzarek did for LA woman, which is, is awesome. You can actually watch this whole thing. Like I mentioned before, YouTube, this whole thing is on YouTube now, but then in 1985, this was released on April, 26, 1985. The 65 minute videotape was available for the low retail price of 54 95, which is roughly $135 in 2020. You could own the doors dance on fire on video cassette. wow so i thought that was pretty cool at 54.95 that's affordable and in, in 1985 for a vhs tape
2: yeah but considering you're spending almost a dollar per minute to watch that
0: <laughs> shut up mark it's great
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right well what do you got for your second pick then
0: all right so my second pick like i said before and this is kind of what i was leading up to you got to. Go and find something in this week. So we got April 24th, 1985. I went outside the box for this one. This is something that hasn't been done on Dueling Decades before, but I bet you after me doing it now, somebody else is going to do this. I was flipping through the newspapers looking for a hot new item and it was looking pretty grim. And then I landed on this article and I thought to myself, how can a product that sold for nearly $10 million not be a hot product? So we got a painting from Vincent Van Gogh of the view of his French uh, outside the French asylum window, and uh, it sold for $9.9 million at Sotheby's. They had an auction that night, and which at the time it was the most ever paid for an impressionist painting. The 1889 Van Gogh work, Landscape with Rising Sun, was sold to an anonymous bidder. And the painting was part of an entire collection from a 19th century railroad tycoon named Jay Gould. And the collection was being sold by the estate of his then uh, daughter-in-law, Florence Gould. The entire collection would sell for $33 million that night. So that's like $81 million in 2020, this entire collection. So it's a hot product because now it's more than one product. It's all these paintings. But can you imagine who the fuck? is buying this shit at an auction. Like, where are they hanging this shit? Like, in the bathroom? Like, (laughs) oh, that's my Van Gogh as you're taking a shit. Like, who's spending $10 million on a painting? And that's not even, when I look now, he's got other paintings that went for, like, $30 million. Like, just one painting. It's it's insane. But, yeah, uh, this is what I went with for that week. We had that Van Gogh painting selling for $9.9 million. And then we had The Doors Dance on Fire, which came out for $54.95. What do you got, Drew?
3: Well, I'll tell you what I have, good sir. I am also dipping into the uh, the VHS release category oh. here for hot products. So my first one is an absolute classic that was released on April 20th, 1994. Uh, just adding to the list of phenomenal films that came out that year, such as Bad Girls and the other <laughs> movie that I was talking about, and I already forgot the name of it. So Chasers chasers there it is see it was it was that huge is that good
2: bad girls always need chasers <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh okay so i have Ernest goes to jail it was released on vhs april 20th 1994 now this i did not see this movie in the theater i believe i did see this on a vhs rental from my local we didn't use a blockbuster we actually used i think it was like a, a it's either a Sun Coast video or a West Coast video. One of the, some some kind of coast video is where we usually went. It was just close to our house. So that's where we went. But in Ernest goes to jail. Everybody's favorite Jim Varney returns as leering idiot savant Ernest P. Worrell, star of scores and TV commercials and feature films. He also uh, took on a second role in the film, an unrepentant, cold-blooded murderer named Felix Nash. So when Ernest serves on the jury for Nash's murder trial. Mesh arranges for lookalike Ernest to go to jail while he stays on the outside to plan a major bank heist. Fortuitously for the criminal, it's the same bank where Ernest works as a security guard. The plot does not stop. It is phenomenal. It is deep. It makes you think. I'll tell you what, you know, when you watch this movie, you you question your life. You question, you know, what can I do to, you know, how can I get to this level? You know, this is it just really. Pulls the best out of you, I think.
2: I thought you questioned your life because you ask, "Why am I watching Ernest Goes to Jail?" Oh,
3: <laughs> quite the opposite. Quite the opposite, good sir. I this I I owe Ernest a, a very hefty thank you for for this because this movie really does bring out the best in you. Uh, pulled in a box office of twenty five million when it was actually out in theaters. Uh, I love Jim Varney. I'm a big fan of him. Um, all of his movies are just like good fun, you know. Uh, but also, I think what I like him for. Besides those movies, he was also the voice of Slinky Dog in Toy Story One and Two, so Jim Varney,
2: yeah, he's no Vernon Wells.
3: <laughs> you're not wrong, but he's still pretty awesome. Uh,
1: yeah, well, you know, at one stage i was I was figuring that I ought to sue him because every other bloody sentence was "I hey, vern." <laughs> <laughs> All right,
3: so that's the first one I have. Ernest Goes to Jail. The other hot product is a legit hot product because this movie crushed it in the box office when it was in theaters. And I'm talking about, also the same day, April 20th, 1994, this movie came to our homes. I'm talking about Carlito's Way. Now, Carlito's Way is a 1993 American crime film directed by the great Brian De Palma. It was based on the novels Carlito's Way and After Hours by Judge Edwin Torres. Uh, The film adaptation was scripted by David Cupp, and it stars Al Pacino, Sean Penn, everyone's favorite Astoria, Oregon elementary school teacher, Penelope Ann Miller, Luis Guzman, who's actually really awesome. I got to meet him once. Super cool dude. Uh, John Leguizamo, uh, Jorge Porcel, Joseph Saravo, and our king, Viggo Mortensen. So pretty solid cast in this one. And it stars Pacino as Carlito, it was a criminal who vows to go straight and retire in paradise. However, his criminal past proves difficult to escape, as it does for all of us. And he unwittingly ends up being dragged into the same activities that got him in prison in the first place. Son of a bitch! It always always happens. But budget thirty million, box office sixty three point eight. So this one actually doubled their box office. This one actually legitimately had a good box office poll. Uh, this was nominated for two Golden Globes for Best Supporting Actor for Sean Penn, and then also Best Supporting Actress for Penelope Ann Miller. And uh, yeah, De Palma, he's a freaking legend. He directed, uh, what was it, Scarface, Untouchables. I think he did one of the, the earlier Mission Impossibles from the 90s. I forget if it was the first or second one, but he did one of the Mission Impossibles. So yeah, Ryan De Palma, guy can direct. So that's what I have. I have Ernest Goes to Jail, Carlito's Way, being released upon our homes.
2: All right, let's throw it right down to our judge, Vernon Wells. And see what he has to say for the hot products round.
1: Yeah, this is this is a, a hard one, um, actually. Uh, damn, I've got to think. That, that's 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 a piss off. <laughs> um, I, I actually, um, I have uh, you know, the Doors. I I love the Doors, and just a little sidebar to that is that's where I actually started. Was my mother was a songwriter in Australia. She wrote for Slim Dusty and people, and. Um, I sort of followed in her footsteps and I sang in some, uh, big bands. Of, they called them supergroups eventually, but it was when I was doing it way back when it was just a lot of session musos and me and other shit having a lot of fun. Nice. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed myself, you know, it's with little river band and people like that, that I, I knew and uh, hung out with occasionally. It's kind of one of those things, and, and the Doors and that whole era and, and those songs and everything about that, I adore. I really love it. I think it's great. And I always thought that the, uh, the picture that sold for $9.5 million of the view outside is um, the window of the cell that he was in in the mental asylum. Um, I like that idea, too, because, you know, you could hang that outside the window in your toilet and, and people would think they were definitely somewhere else. And and that kind of gives me that, that, that mental image of people. A, a friend of mine has a photograph of his girlfriend just above the toilet. And every time you go in for a piss, you swear her eyes are following you no matter where you go or where you go. <laughs> so disturbing. And it's, it's that kind of imagery, you know, that would be just so much fun, but I love that. Um, then the other two, um, as I said, I was trying to figure out if I could sue Barney for saying burn every five seconds. Um, but no, there is other people have that name. So I couldn't trademark it. And, and Kalido's way was a brilliant film. I I thought it was one of the best, Uh, loved it. Um, but unfortunately, um, being a, a singer and a dumb shit at heart, I've got to go with The Doors.
0: Fuck yeah. like it. I was concerned when he said Carlito's Way. I was like, that's a good VHS release because yeah. I remember renting it. Jim Vernon, it's like, it's so hit and miss with me too. Like I Like some movies I really liked. That one, I didn't like. I don't know what it was. But then, what you know when we saw them, uh, Mark? When uh, you and I went to that thing this summer at Mahoning, and they yeah. had that whole like his old commercials that I'd never seen before, that shit was funny. Oh, those I, are like brilliant. I liked those a lot. Yeah,
1: no, oh, no, he's. Oh, I loved everything that he did. Um, you know, I thought it was he, he just had that thing. I used, every time he came on television, I'd go, "Well, one day I'm going to sue that shit," <laughs> um, because it was. Anyway, That was his trademark. It was just so, so funny. And uh, it's that whole thing of like um, a couple of the um, comedy shows, the news comedy shows that they had, Dennis Miller, people like that. They would have me on it. Not me personally, but they would have my voice. But it was always 23 seconds because you don't have to pay once it's over 24. Oh, no shit. (laughs) So there would be 23 seconds of me going, you can run and it was this, and I used to go, "Son, the bitches, cheap ass." <laughs> it was, uh, it was kind of fun. I, I liked it, but uh, no, I, I, I'm still, and I, I hate to say it, much and all as I loved, Khalidos way, and loved everybody in it. There was such a Brian De Palma, such a wonderful director, and the whole thing. Um, you know, when you're a as. A, a, come from a background of of music with your family it's unfortunately that's what sticks in your your heart so you got me on the music i'm sorry about that do you still play now do i still play now well it depends how many blondes are in the room (laughs) (laughs) there's none right now but
0: do you uh like what do you do you you play guitar and sing or what no i was
1: a lead vocalist
0: awesome and especially now yeah. if, if dude, your beard now is amazing. Like I, I haven't shaved since the uh <laughs> this whole pandemic shit started. And I have look how patchy my shit is. Like <laughs> I can't even grow a good beard. I look like an asshole. Yours perfect. You look like a lead singer.
1: Well, thank you. You're welcome. Um I always but when I first came to America, I got asked to go to last uh to uh New York and do a, a show. I did two songs uh, at a club. I can never remember the name of it, Uh, but a big club. It was five floors, and each floor was a different thing. The bottom floor was like the heavy rock uh, big thing, and then the second floor was something else. But I always remembered that the fifth floor, if you got all the way to the fifth floor, they called it the swimming room. It was this room that had all these... Uh, sheets of plastic that went up the wall and across the floor and everything. And then someone had tipped about 14 gallons of oil on the floor and people went in there and got their clothes off and and skated <laughs> around like lizards or something. It was kind of an interesting experience if you didn't know what was in there and you opened the door and walked in. Was it the limelight? Might have been. I, all I remember is Whoopi Goldberg came to see me and um, oh, I can't think of his name, another, an actor who was huge he won an academy award great great guy but he was highly intelligent and after he'd had a couple of beers or wines or scotches whatever the heck he drank he would talk to you in syllables and words that were about three feet long you know you'd be sitting there he would say and you'd go and I learned that if you nodded your head and said yep yep, yep it just went on so you didn't have to actually understand a word he said. Uh, which was pretty close, but Whoopi Goldberg was totally hysterical. She probably has a worse potty mouth than I have, or <laughs> did have back then. Um, but wonderful lady, loved her to death. Oh man,
0: I can only imagine the drugs that were going on at that place.
1: <laughs> oh, you want a sidebar to that little episode? Yeah. I'm standing, I've done my show, right? I did uh, Stairway to Heaven and a couple of other things. And I'm, I'm walking off the stage and across the floor and this big African-American dude came up to me wearing a big, long leather coat. And he, he had to be six foot four, six foot five, big mother. And he stood in front of me and said, hey, dude, he said, love your performance. And I said, oh, thank you. And he said, I got something for you, anything you want. And I went, what? And he opens his jacket. And down the sides of the inside of it was every drug known to man. Holy wow! Shit. And I just stood there and looked at him. He said, "Yeah, take your pick. Anything for you, dude. Love you." And I went, "Oh, I'm gonna die."
2: <laughs> hey, Vernon. Uh, you got this guy's number by any chance, man? <laughs>
1: I
3: was—I was gonna say, was that Daryl Strawberry?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh no i don't think so unfortunately <laughs> but yeah that was back in the days when you actually got away with that shit
2: yeah oh
0: my god what what year do you think that was that late 70s or early 80s that was um last week
1: early 80s <laughs> yeah, early 80s oh my god wow.
0: yeah those new york city clubs in the 80s i couldn't even pinpoint the one i mean it could have been studio 54 it could have been limelight it could have been no, it
1: wasn't, it wasn't studio 54 i know that i know it was in the down by the river, and it was an old um, warehouse, and it was like five stories, and it was big, and and it was packed. I mean, I have not seen so many people in my life, In, in every floor I had huge amounts of people in it.
0: That's how limelight used to be. Like, it was like you couldn't even move in the inside, and every time mm-hmm. you thought you got to a space where you can move, there would just be like a herd of people that would just trap you in, and everyone was yes. sweaty and yep. like well this is the 90s when i went and it was like everyone was uh like on e or whatever so everybody was sweating their asses off the floor was just disgusting oh man
1: anyhow oh i'm sorry yes, yes. We're, we're digressing
2: <laughs> all right man crush let's recap here you got control of the game two to one you got the board as well heading into the first two point rounds where are we going man
0: Uh, We're going news. Uh, We're going to go to the news and we're going to start April 23rd, 1985. This is where Coca-Cola announces they're going to change their secret formula. Uh, The world's top selling soft drink for almost a century is changing its recipe to make a smoother and sweeter taste. The move is in an effort to hold onto Coke's share of the cola market that their competitor Pepsi Cola is catching up with. And Coke says that the new formula was discovered by chemists when they were doing research for four years prior on diet cola. The new Coke will have three calories more. Uh, And somehow they said that they had 200,000 consumers that had been tested and the results were overwhelmingly in favor of the new Coke taste. And uh, as we all know, they're full of shit because by July of 85, they switched back. But I picked this because I found this fantastic ad in a newspaper from Pepsi. Uh, It was this rebuttal that they put out. And it says, it's just all it is is a plain white piece of paper with a letter typed up from Roger Enrico, who is the president and the uh, CEO of Pepsi Cola at the time. And it says, to all Pepsi Cola bottlers and Pepsi Cola company personnel, it gives me great pleasure to offer each of you my heartfelt congratulations after 87 years of going at it (laughs) eyeball to eyeball with the other guy they just blinked coca-cola is withdrawing from their product from the marketplace and is reformulating the brand coke to be more like pepsi too bad ripley's is not around he would have had a field day with this one there is no question the long-term market success of pepsi has forced their move everyone knows when something is right it doesn't need to be changed Maybe they finally realized that most of us have known for years. Pepsi tastes better than Coke. And this is in like a full page, just like a fuck you to Coke in this giant. And this is in uh, I found this in the Daily News. Huge one page ad with a middle finger on it pretty much is what it is. And at the end, they sign it with his name, Pepsi, the choice of a new generation right there. But that's my first story is Coke changing their uh, their formula for better or worse. And then my second story, April 23rd, 1985. Uh, Here's an article. It's highlighting a musical tour for Madonna. And it discusses an unlikely opening act for their first ever big tour. Uh, The band's debut album, it was still more than a whole year away from getting released at the time. And as legend has it, this group got booed off stage at almost every show. Because once you see the two bands, it's like oil and water. Like, they shouldn't have opened. What they did uh, the story here and some of the stuff they say. And this is 1985. So just excuse them for being 1985. The story is beauty and the Beastie Boys on first Madonna tour. And the story goes on to say whatever Madonna wants, Madonna gets. That includes any opening act her heart desires for her first concert tour, which tramps into town tonight through Sunday at the Universal Amphitheater, when you're as hot as Madonna, no one's going to argue with your choice, even when it's a surprising one like the Beastie Boys. The four Beastie Boys are former punk rockers who have been worming their way through the Big Apple's rap scene with their underground hit, Cookie Puss. They have become perhaps the first white rap group of note. And it goes on and on and on. But this is like monumental shit here. Madonna's on like her first big tour. And who does she pick? She picks the Beastie Boys who are not even like their underground New York City rap. They're coming off their punk rock stuff and they're kind of like rolling off of that. And she picks them to be her opening act. And much like I said before, this opening spot it even says it in this article, uh, their first show, they got booed off because th- her fans didn't want to see them. So it was almost good for her in a way because when she got on stage, everyone was like, oh, thank God. But at the same time, you look back at 35 years later, this is huge. It's huge because this is the fucking Beastie Boys, an unknown group getting the opening act for Madonna's version tour. Pretty insane shit. So he got that paired up with new Coke.
3: And what do you got, Drew? I'll tell you what. Neither of those are as good as Crystal Pepsi. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> I'm telling you, if they, if they bring that back, I'm going to stockpile the shit out of it you better just uh, like
0: toilet paper yeah
3: i we'll also need to probably get some uh like Genuvia or some kind of diabetes pills because that stuff is just like loaded with sugar um but it's delicious sugar so uh speaking of delicious uh sugar here's what i have april 22nd richard nixon died <laughs> <laughs> bringing the sadness there we go um so yeah, so uh, we obviously all know about him for Watergate, and I'll, I'll touch on that for a second and, and a little bit. But uh, I this is this is one of the things I love about doing the show is you know you research things, you know you learn some stuff, and you know I didn't really know exactly like how you know Nixon got elected. Like I knew obviously like he won. I'm not that stupid, but um, I was like curious like the, like the specifics of the election, right? So the '68 election. Uh, So he was coming off of uh, LBJ. He was coming off of a BJ. Coming almost. He probably got some. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what Watergate was all about. But uh, so in the uh, the election, which basically put him in the White House after LBJ, uh, Nixon took home 301 electoral votes compared to Hubert Humphrey's 191 and George Wallace's 46. Now the Electoral College was more favorable to Nixon as the popular vote was much closer. As Nixon pulled in thirty-one million seven little over thirty-one point seven million votes, while Humphrey got thirty-one point two million votes. So five hundred thousand votes uh, separated the popular vote there for the candidate. So close in that regard, but he got the electoral college. Uh, now the seventy-two election, right? So he's you know he's the incumbent, straight up blowout. Like I don't think uh, in our time we've seen one like this. Reagan Mondale.
2: Yeah, Reagan Mondale.
3: All right, so I was I was I was really young. There. Um I mean technically it was my time, but now Nixon, right? So he took in five hundred and twenty electoral votes. That's insane compared to George McGovern's 17. Nixon carried 49 states. That's nuts. McGovern had one state plus DC. Popular vote had Nixon receiving over 47 million votes while McGovern got 29 million. So I mean it was just like a straight up beatdown. Uh so then Watergate, uh for those that might not know, the Watergate. Uh, basically, they were doing some illegal activities by the Nixon administration. They were doing some like bugging of offices of political opponents, harassment of activist groups and political figures, and basically the activities were brought into light after five men were caught breaking into the Democratic Party headquarters at the Watergate complex in Washington, D.C. on June 17th, 1972. And then eventually, on August 9th, 1974, Nixon resigned. The presidency handed the White House over to new VP, Gerald Ford, since his previous VP, Spiro Agnew, resigned in October of 1973. So there's a little uh, Richard Nixon history for you guys. Uh, But yeah, April 22nd, uh, passed away at the age of 81.
2: Nice. I'm glad you brought up LBJ, because, you know, that's what I always wanted to get from Salma Hayek was LBJ. LBJ.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'll take an LHJ from her. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, whatever she wants. Yes. The answer is yes.
2: (laughs) All right, Drew, what do you got for your second news pick?
3: All right. Next one, April 19th. So this is more of like a a victory here. This is a happier. Well, the story itself wasn't happy, but the, the end result was a little bit better. So uh, April 19th, 1994, Rodney King was awarded $3.8 million for his, uh, police beating basically. So a uh, quick little backstory here. So March 3rd, 1991, uh, Rodney King was violently beaten by LAPD officers during his arrest for fleeing and resisting arrest on California state route two ten. Uh, a civilian, George Holliday, filmed the incident from his nearby balcony and sent the footage to local news station, KTLA. And the footage clearly showed King being beaten repeatedly. And the incident was covered by news media all around the world. I remember when this was, when this happened, I mean, this was, just insane, like it was all over the news, and uh, as it should have been. Um, the four officers were tried on charges of use of police brutality. Three were acquitted, and the jury failed to reach a verdict on the one charge for the fourth. Within hours of the acquittals, the 1992 LA riots started, sparked by outrage among uh, African Americans over the trial's verdict and, you know, just obviously longstanding social issues. The rioting lasted six days. Actually killed 63 people with a bunch being injured, but it ended because the California Army National Guard and the United States Army and the United States Marine Corps provided reinforcements to uh, reestablish control. Uh, also, if I'm not mistaken, during this time, uh, Allison Chains was in L.A. recording dirt. So that's awesome. <laughs> I love how you put all this information into like
0: he won a $3.8 million lawsuit and then you give Allison
3: Chains, bro. <laughs> like- Dude, it's Allison Chains. <laughs>
2: Give them credit. It's the first time ever, I think, Rodney King and Alice James have and ever Chains been used in the same sentence. So I'm I just that.
3: trying to educate as many people as I can with as much information as I possibly can.
2: By educate, you mean bore? Are you kidding?
3: <laughs> That's not nice. Anyway, uh, the federal government prosecuted a separate civil rights case uh basically uh their trial ended on april 16th 1993 with two of the officers being found guilty and sentenced to serve prison terms the other two were acquitted of the charges and in a separate suit the city of la awarded king 3.8 million dollars in damages hopefully i didn't bore you
2: (laughs) well let's find out we're going to go down to our judge vernon wells very excited to find out what he has to say on the news round
1: um interesting i learned shit i didn't know and i learned shit i didn't give a shit about oh. <laughs> but allison chains recorded an album at it same time. really inter- but you you want to know a funny little thing about that um i believe that um rodney king was driving a Hyundai. was it a Hyundai? he was driving a japanese car when he was um yeah. a, and he was beaten on the back of it well guess who had just done a national commercial for the brand new release of the new model of that car no oh. <laughs> and it was to come out the week after he got the crap kicked out of him and guess whose commercial never went to air no shit they cut it for that yeah well they there was so much publicity that was negative that they just didn't want to be associated with it you want to know what the, the the funny thing was the commercial was cloaked this is where sometimes reality and reality gets really weird the commercial was me in the car being chased by the cops racing around the streets showing how good it maneuvered and going, racing down this alley, and at the end of the alley, there was a brick wall, and slamming on the brakes, and of course it has great brakes, it stops in one and a half lengths of the car thing, and I stop and get out, and the cops grab me, put me over the, the back of the thing, and, and handcuff me. Oh, no way. Are you serious? A week lady, Rodney King, having the shit kicked out of him on the back of a the mo- a couple of models before the one that I was doing on the trunk of the car. So yeah, wow. it was a little too close for comfort for them. And it was funny because that was the second one. I did a commercial for Toyota and in it I was driving a semi and this family's driving down the road and I'm driving this big semi down the road out in the desert and the, and the family drive down and they they get up beside me and we have to pull up because there's a – I I think it might have been a turtle or something crossing the road. So being the good driver, I sort of pull up and I'm there and and they pull up beside me and there's two little kids in the back and they're playing and they sort of look up, camera pans up, and I put my head out the window. I've got the mohawk, the whole bit. I look down (laughs) at the kids and I go, yeah. (laughs) The kids freak out, jump back in their seat, and then I look at the father who's sort of cringing and I go, Nice car, dude, nice car. And we all drive off, <laughs> right? And everybody loved it except for the Japanese um, head of the company who flipped out totally and wouldn't let it go to
0: air. Oh, so I missed that oh twice, you
1: know, twice. I hate car commercials, just so you know.
0: I hate them. <laughs> What's like the most fucked up foreign commercial you've ever done? Cause they're all their commercials. Like I've seen a bunch of like the Arnold ones where he did for like Nissan and stuff yeah. for like the, uh, the
1: noodles and they are crazy. D- yep. Did you do anything like that? I actually had one to a big one to do, but they wanted Mel as well. And um, Mel, it was for the pa- uh, Pachinko machines, you know, those Pachinko yeah. machines I have, they were going to put our faces in, two of the pachinko machines. It's going to be this whole new big thing, Mel and me. And he had one, I had the other. And they were offering a lot of money to do it. And for some reason, I don't know why, you know, he doesn't have to do what he doesn't want to do, you know. And he didn't want to do it, so it fell through. But that was going to be kind of a a cool commercial for me. But I generally, if I go to Japan, people are usually pretty nice to me over there. You know, I'm usually the biggest boy in the room.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I bet. How tall are you? How tall are you? You look tall in the movies. Six one. All right. And the, I always thought you were a little bit taller, cause like, especially like in uh, – maybe everybody was short, but in Weird Science, when you come in, when you're Lord General, mm-hmm. you tower over everybody in that scene. Yeah. You and Michael Berryman are like yeah. mountains. I, I think
1: room. they gave me lifts or something.
0: No shit. All right. Well, that makes sense because you guys are massive.
1: I'm not, I'm not sure they brought me up a couple of inches to get me taller, but yeah. But no, six one. Still pretty tall. Yeah, tall and me. Tall. Now, getting down to your shit, um, <laughs> and, oh, and, and all the stuff about Nixon too, which um, I, I, I kind of think is, is kind of cool at times that um, we, we had a president that uh, decided that the, the way to win was to make sure that you crippled the enemy which is kind of the way it should be at times like we're going through the same thing again, but you know, we never read history in this country. We don't understand what people did 25 years ago, but the, the Nixon stuff is really, really for me. I, I like to, to read it, but then it depresses me because as I said, we tend to make the same mistakes over and over. So I don't think we ever learn. Um, but getting to the other side of the coin, With Coca-Cola and uh, them deciding that they were going to uh, change the the whole thing of Coke. You know what? That was the day the earth cried. (laughs) It really was. People don't get mad about anything but Coke Coke changing their formula. I lived on fucking Coca-Cola. I remember when I was younger, I drank at least four liters of that shit a day. Oh how I'm still alive I don't know but I did <laughs> I used to just love the taste of Coca-Cola it was what kept me going and um, then they decided they would change they had the audacity to change the formula of my Coca-Cola the sons of bitch did they ask me no <laughs> they just went ahead and did it the sons of bitches well I got them I didn't buy any more coke Fuck 'em! I went for their competitor <laughs> which lasted about four minutes, and a very half-drunk can of Pepsi, whatever it was called, hated it. So I waited for Coke to get their brains back together and do the right thing, which they eventually did, which was nice. But the other side of that, of course, (laughs) we're getting back to music with Madonna. The Beastie Boys, you know what? I always look at that and think that was probably the smartest move that anyone doing their first tour has ever made. Because I, I bet you she knew damn well that when they went out on stage, everybody would hate it. And when she came out on stage, they'd hoop, holler, jump up and down, scream, and just love her. And you've got to look at it from her perspective that she wasn't dumb. She was pretty smart. And also, regardless, they sort of went on to be who they were, and she went on to be who she was. But right at that moment, I think, you know, there was a little bit of smarts in there. So much as I hate to do it, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying desperately to be fair here, but the fat dude over there keeps on pulling all these things out of the fucking paperwork, and it's just pissing me <laughs> I mean, geez, man, you know, you're tugging at my heart. I, I think you went into all of the shit you could find to find out what I've done with the whole of my life. <laughs> Hey, I found an
0: episode of the Fast Lane that you never even remember. That,
1: that's got to count for something. Well, it's not. It's. It's. You got to look at that logically. I either don't remember it, or I'm never gonna ever ever remember it. <laughs> I. You know what? I
0: actually found the episode today, and I don't know if I have your email address. I have Dan's. I can send it to you. It's on YouTube. If you want to like watch it and see if you can find yourself.
1: Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've lived this long without torturing myself. I mean, i worked with David Hasselhoff. Haven't I gone through enough, damn it? <laughs> <laughs> was it?
0: Was he that bad? I mean, obviously, we talked about this before the show started recording. We had Lydia on a couple of weeks ago. She made out with the guy. How was he when you recorded with him? Cause you were also on Night Rider.
1: He was good. He was, it was fine. I mean, I, I have nothing against the Hoff. Um, I actually did a film in South Africa with his wife to be, I think he married her and uh, now divorced. She was very, very nice too. I, I did a, a film with her. So I learned a lot about the Hof the Hoff while I was doing the film things. I really didn't need to know. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I had no problems with, with David. I, I've i got to admit that in my whole career, which has been pretty effing extensive now um, and still is, I really haven't worked with anybody that, apart from one very famous actress that I would say I would never work with again. I've been incredibly fortunate with being able to work with people that either like the way I work or they want to work with me or... Or they're afraid of me, or they're scared shitless that if they don't do the right thing, I kick their ass, which is probably the truth. But, um, I I tend to have a lot of fun, um, you know. I I think that's just the way it is. I I can't get away. It's like you guys. I love listening to you guys banter on this because you're all having a lot of fun with what you're doing, and it comes through. And I think that's the whole point of what we do, is to have fun and to enjoy it. And you know, I always say to people that. The first time I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I've got to be on the set at five thirty to have makeup and roll out of bed and go, ah, oh, for God's sake, do I have to get up at this time? It's over because now it's become a job and I really don't want to do yeah, the right. job. I just want to do it because I love it. And the minute it becomes a job, I'm leaving. It's just not worth it. hasn't done it yet. That,
0: that's the way you got to do it. And we had this conversation with Robert Tepper last week where you know, especially like during times like this, this is when we should be doing shows like this and and getting people into it and getting their minds off of it to think about other things and not really thinking about this, you know, what's going on right now. So I I thank you for coming on. I thank you for giving me that round. And now we go to the final round, which doesn't even matter because I've won this game. It's four to one, but We'll see what happens with this one. <laughs> <laughs> this could either go a complete landslide, or maybe you can make it respectable with this last round and it's music. So this is something obviously Vernon knows a lot about. Damn it. And uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to uh, the music round with April 22nd, 1985. And this iconic artist, this is his seventh album. Uh, and this album would be his second consecutive Number one album on the Billboard 200. It featured four singles on this one. We had Paisley Park, Pop Life, Raspberry Beret, and America. Uh, many people, they liken this album to the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper, Lonely Hearts uh, club band. Kind of like because it's it's got this psychedelic feel to the album as opposed to the the previous album, which was much more pop uh, and Purple Rain, of course. Coming from the last album, a lot of people felt this album here was a big gamble, but it's Prince, and we all know he did whatever the fuck he wanted. Anyway, this album, Around the World in a Day, it would go on to be certified two times platinum, uh, featured two top 10 Billboard 100 hits. You had Pop Life that topped off at number seven, and Raspberry Beret, of course, topped off at number two. If you've never visited Paisley Park before, I know I mentioned Paisley Park as a song but it's an actual place in minnesota if you've never been there i definitely suggest going there sometime in your life especially if you're a prince fan even if you're not you'll become a much bigger prince fan if you see what he lived in and what he worked around this place is a fucking music compound movies and music compound there's a giant sound stage in there it's crazy um and then i found out as i'm standing in the hallway where you wait to begin the tour. There was an elevator that was right there in this little, uh, this little tiny hallway as the elevator. He died in. They don't tell you that during the tour. Found that out afterwards. Uh, kind of creepy that I was standing there waiting for like a half hour and he died right next to that. Uh, but yeah, the first album I have debut album or not debut album, but it's a release of an album around the world in a day by Prince. And my second album here, this one I think everybody's heard of April 23rd 1985. It's The Week Experience. So of course I'd have to go and I'd pick a compilation album, right? It fits with the uh, the Week Experience. So this little compilation album here, it it features on-release songs or donated by various artists like Bruce Springsteen, Chicago, Prince, Tina Turner, Steve Perry, Pointer Sisters, Kenny Rogers, Huey Lewis, not too shabby of a compilation but it's probably not what it's known for. It's known for the first track on the album, one that was written by Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson, and it was performed by 46 other vocalists ranging from Willie Nelson to Dan Aykroyd. The album would go on to reach three times platinum status and have the timeless number one hit. We are the world. And uh, of course all proceeds from this album, it went to humanitarian relief efforts in Africa for their famine. Um, I mean, they ended up raising over $60 million, which is around $150 million in 2020. What else can you say about this album? They're even talking about doing it again. Lionel Richie was just on the news like three weeks ago, or maybe even sooner than that, saying that they need to do another We Are The World for the whole COVID thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, I mean, they've redone it multiple times in the past 35 years, and now it's the 35th anniversary. Why not? Let's do another one. But those are my two picks. We got Prince and we got. (laughs) Why are you crying over there?
2: (laughs) Drew, (laughs) if
0: I say my second pick, we are the world.
2: You are such an asshole. All right, Drew Zachman, blow our socks off. What do you got for the music round?
3: Oh, fuck your socks. (laughs) LBJS. You know, all right. So 1994, right, was a phenomenal year when it comes to music. Uh, you can argue it's one of the best years ever. Uh, just like the albums that came out. So here are some albums that came out in April of 1994. All right. You have Smash by The Offspring. All for One, their self-titled album came out. Classic album. You have Hole coming out. Why, I don't know why you're laughing. That is a, a classic album. Hole coming out with Live Through This. Uh, one of my favorite band, or, uh, albums from one of my favorite bands Uh, Rollins band released an album called *Wait* in April on April 12th, 1994 blur released park life April 25th, which is an awesome album live released throwing copper April 26th. It's like one of my favorite albums of all time. However, I get April 17th through April 20th fucking third. So that leaves me the following. I have, uh, so here you go. What happens when everyone's favorite mom has some free time? She makes a music album, that's what. And that's just what Peggy Bundy did back on April 19th, 1994, when Katie Seagal released her highly anticipated debut album titled Well. With (laughs) such chart-topping hits such as Thunderhead, September Rain, not to be confused with Raining in November, uh, All is Well, and Some Things Are Better Left Unsaid a song that was collaborated with the immensely talented Robbie Neville. It's easy to see why this album was so groundbreaking and barrier breaking back in 1994. And uh, the exact number of albums sold it was a little tough to track that down but estimates created by myself have this album being sold somewhere between 40 million and 17 billion. <laughs> so everybody everybody in the world has it. Or six. I don't think so. I think it's probably closer to that 17 billion number. Uh, Katy Perry was once quoted as saying, uh, if it wasn't for Katie Seagal's debut album, Well, I never would have gotten into the music industry. And uh, Eric Clapton was also on record as saying, once I heard Well, I knew my days with Sheryl Crow were numbered. I needed to get me some Seagal. And these are accurate quotes I would never make up just to try to win a round on this show. So we have Katie Seagal releasing her de- highly anticipated debut album, Well. Well, what's your second pick? <laughs> <laughs> My second one's actually pretty legit. I have uh, Illmatic from Nas. It's his debut album, uh, which came out April 19th. Actually, both of these albums came out April 19th, I should say. Uh, yeah, I mean, this album, I mean, it's one of the most influential hip-hop albums of all time. It peaked at number 12 on the Billboard 200, uh, hit number two on the U.S. Uh, top R&B hip-hop albums, over 2 million albums sold. Uh, MTV ranked this number two. Uh, in the greatest hip-hop albums of all time. And they did that ranking back in 2005. Rolling Stone ranked it 26th on the list of 100 best albums of the 90s. Uh, Obviously, all the Alice in Chains albums are probably in the top 10. Uh, Vibe ranked this number four uh, as a top 10 rap album. They did that back in 2002. About.com, so you know it's legit, ranked this number one uh, when they listed the 100 greatest hip-hop albums. That's, I mean, that actually happened. I wasn't making that one up. But yeah, I mean, songs off this album are still getting play on Spotify. New York State of Mind has been streamed over 103 million times. And Oz himself has about six, or actually almost six million monthly listeners on Spotify. But yeah, this album was, it was, it was big back then. I mean, it's, it's one of the, this actually is like legitimately groundbreaking. Uh, maybe not as much as Katie Seagal's album, but it's up there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, those are my two albums, which that's all I have.
2: All right, that being said, let's go to our judge Vernon Wells for the official final ruling on this game
1: um well uh being a a, a, a rocky boy and you know from back in the eighties and seventies sixties the nineties kind of didn't come into my calculation of music, so um that's a problem there uh katie segal um yeah. You know, ageless. absolutely. Totally. Ageless. I mean, I used to use that to scare the coyotes away. You know, you, you have that out in the fence and they don't come near the days. It's like, man, they're gone. The, your other album. No, I admit that is a, a brilliant, brilliant album. Um, brilliant album. So is the compilation with we are the world. That was a brilliant album, but I'm, I'm sort of stuck on Prince because, I actually spent a weekend with, um, I did a show down in uh, San Diego, and I was with Apollonia. Oh, wow. And, um, well, I wasn't with her. I mean, she was there. <laughs> oh, watch. Well, get my hopes up, man. <laughs> yeah, it's still cool, I guess. <laughs> that, that is well, I wasn't with her. She was there. Um, a very, very, very nice lady. Quite, quite, quite interesting. And uh, I, as as for Prince, uh, he, he intrigued me immensely. I just uh, could never fathom him. He was just, what sold me on Prince? And I don't know if anybody ever saw it. Right up until I saw this thing, he was kind of like, I liked him. I liked his music. <laughs> but then they had a show on television. It, it had Roy Orbison and all these people in it. I I think they were doing a retrospective for the Beatles or something, but Prince came on and did a guitar solo for like seven and a half minutes. It was probably some of the.
3: Was that while my guitar gently. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: He could, he could absolutely shred.
2: Yeah. That's the one thing about Prince that he never gets enough credit for is as, as a musician, not just a singer and a composer. I mean, he wrote and played
1: every instrument on those first albums. It was brilliant. Just sitting and listening to him do that. Yeah. You just went, what the, and I, I mean, from that moment on, I was like sold. I thought he was just, um, amazing. And I had another tie to Prince. I did a, a film over in New Zealand. Um, and one of the girls that was in the film actually had an association with Prince. So, um, you know, I kind of couldn't get away from him no matter what I did. You know, if I went to New Zealand to do a dumb movie, I ended up with somebody that was a Prince or something. I don't know. Wow. A lot of girls had an association with Prince. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, he was, I mean, he was wonderful. And I, I loved all his music and things. And uh, we spent a fun night in Vegas at uh, the Hard Rock Hotel. And they have a, a band there that does all of Prince's music. And the yeah. guy that sings in that band sounds so much like Prince, it's not funny. And um we we went to see that show and it was really, really knockout and wonderful. So I kind of uh have had an association without having an association. That's that's like my love life with a lot of women. It was kind of like an association without <laughs> really having an association. Um, It was one sided, you know, I thought it was association. Prince had no clue who the fuck I was. Um, That's okay.
0: (laughs) But I'm sure he watched your movies at one point. Probably. He must have watched something. He never told me though. You know, you can get this hurts, man. This hurts. You can get this. That's kind of wild though. When you think about it, like all these people that have seen your movies, like, you know, like these huge megastars, like Prince or whoever, you know they've seen you in something, and probably more times than once. It, it how does that feel to you? Like when something like that, just knowing that, you know, how many people seen Commando? How many people seen Mad Max too? It's it, it all
1: it, these people. Yeah, it's it's it. it. It blows my mind to be serious because I'm just at heart. I'm still just a little kid from the country. You know. And, and I, I get this when people come up to me, if I'm doing a, a big convention or somewhere overseas or even here, people come up to me and, and they have their, their kids with them and, and they, they come up, and they say, man, I grew up on, on Commando or Road Warrior. And, you know, I showed it to my son for the first time, you know, two months ago. And I just thought we had to come and get an autograph from him. And I look at his kid, the kid's like eight years old and I think, oh, well, here's a serial killer. <laughs> I mean, he has warped from this moment on in his life, um, but it, it really intrigues me that people have such an affection for you and, and the funniest things can happen. I remember being in Vegas with my wife and we, we were, jumped in an elevator from our floor, which was like the 28th or 29th floor and we're coming down. And a couple of floors later, this the elevator stops. This guy gets in, and um, I'm talking to Grace. And all of a sudden, this guy turns around. And he goes, oh, my God, you're the guy from Road Warrior. And I went, hey. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he went, wow. And he puts his hand out. And I shake his hand. And he just stands there with his mouth open, looking at me as we go, 29, <laughs> 22, 26, 16. 15 two, <laughs> doors open and he walks out my wife looks at me like you are the most arrogant good shit I've ever met and I went what and she said you could have said something and I said I did I said thank you it was his turn I mean what do I say
0: <laughs> yeah it's kind of get weird yeah I mean Mark and I have been at conventions before where you know uh, we've had people on the show and then when you meet somebody in person it's a little bit different you know like So you have to be ready and you know, you have to say something back and forth and there's always weird that you're like, all right, well now what, you know, (laughs) like, so you have to be prepared for that. You know, if you run into these people have something to say, don't just be like, Hey, because then it's just weird. Then you look like stalker
1: guy or something. you (laughs) You can't say anything. You know, you're like, okay, if I start talking about me, I'm an arrogant shit. If I don't say anything, I'm an arrogant shit. Um, (laughs) <laughs> you know, you, you're kind of stuck here in this limbo of waiting, saying, please say something. You know, Ask ask me how big my dick is. I don't care. Say something. Let me <laughs> you know?
0: That would be a weird conversation
1: in an elevator with your wife and just you. <laughs> so, <laughs> Vernon, how big's your cock? Well, hey, uh, I mean, I'm the guy that that's first movie and is famous for having the ass out of his pants. Come on. nothing (laughs) unusual to me i mean come on i have people to this day go god man you have a great looking ass it's like (laughs) (laughs) i shit you not like i'm not
2: making
0: this up i've mentioned it on the show numerous times growing up my friends and i we always said that it was a rite of passage for a young boy To go in, like, when you're becoming a man, you need to see two movies. And it was Predator and Commando. Those are the two fucking movies that I've said it on the show like a million times. And I think I had Commando as a pick, like, I don't know, a couple months ago or last year or something. And it was always that thing, like, this is going about 10 years ago. I had uh, two, like, interns. There were two high school kids that were working for me. And one day I had nothing for them to do. And I I looked at them and I was like, uh, one kid's name was Darren. I forgot the other kid's name. And I was like, have you guys ever seen Commando before? And they both looked at me like, no. I was like, well, we're not doing shit today until you two fuckers watch Commando. And I took this shit. I had a VHS tape and in my office, I popped it in. I said, you're not going to do anything until you watch this movie. And they both sat there, and they're like, "All right." And they fucking watched the <laughs> <movies>. <laughs> It's the greatest shit ever. And I told all my friends about it. I'm like, "I just made these two guys men because they watched Commando at the office because they never even heard of it." I was like, "And I mean, you got to take into effect. This is probably like 2010, 2011." Yeah,
3: but that's 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 on their parents. Their parents. Yeah, exactly. Like, their parents failed them, and I picked up the ball and
1: you, ran with it. You want to hear a couple of funny little? Stories before we, whatever you got to do, I don't want to hold you up all night. Yeah, but, um, no, no,
0: you're not holding us up for anything,
1: go. But um, I, uh, uh, my partner in crime in doing the film, Brian Martin, uh, up in um, Sacramento, he was pitching a film to a room full of investors and, and that, and they're all millennials, basically. And he sort of lays out the film and then he starts telling them about the actors and everything. They're all intrigued. They know who the actors are. And they said, so who have you got in the lead? And he said, Oh, we've been really lucky. We've got Vernon Wells in the lead. And they went, who? (laughs) He went, Vernon Wells, you know, road warrior commando. And they went, no. And Brian's like, Oh shit. Um, And while he's trying to think of nothing would come to him to tell him and one guy at the end of the table goes, wait a second. Bernoulli. You mean the guy out of weird science? Oh, fuck. Man. That is that a fool. <laughs> and Brian went out of every film you've done in your life. Weird science was the one they knew. And it's like the millennials and people, they don't know commando and road warrior. They know all the later things yeah. in the John Hughes movies and the coming of age movies. So they all go for that, which is, is kind of fun. But I always remember I did an audition way, way back many, many years ago when I actually did auditions. Um, and I was in a room with a lot of people and uh, guys, probably 13, 14 people around a table, and plus the casting people. And I walked in and they said, uh, so anything you want to know about the character? And I said, no, I'm pretty familiar with this type of character. I should be okay. Yeah, but we're looking for a specific thing. Do you mind if we uh, if if we give you you know our take on it? And I said, well, well, whatever. Yeah, sure. Tell me what you you think. And they went, okay. So, ever seen the film The Road Warrior? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I believe I have. And they said, good, good. Remember the guy with the mohawk, with the red mohawk. Oh, jeez. Oh now, right at, <laughs> right at this moment, I'm thinking, I'm on Got You or some bloody... You know,
2: right, you're on candid camera <laughs> at this point.
1: There's got to yeah. be somebody behind the walls with a camera. So I'll play along. Uh, yeah, I remember that character. They said, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that character. Now, we're we're looking for the guy that played that role, and we haven't been able to find him. And if we if we can't find him, it's, it's you know we're open to all kinds of suggestions. So you show us what you got. So I went, oh, okay. we'll so I do the audition. They're all sitting there and they're all looking at me and, and they go, wow, man, that was good. That was very good. Very good. And he said, you know what? I think I talking for all of us, if we don't find the guy that did the role, it's yours. I mean, it's yours. There's no, <laughs> not, not even a second. thought there." So by this time I've figured out they have no fucking idea who I am. And so I'm sitting there and he says, you wouldn't happen to have your resume with you, would you? And I said, yeah, of course. And uh, at that stage, I had a little picture in the corner of Wes and a little one (laughs) of Bennett from Commander. And the main picture was, of course, just a a straight shot of me. So I sort of flipped it across the table to him and he picked it up and he sort of had it and he said, oh, this is very good. He had it upside down. He was looking at my credits. And Road Warrior was like fourth on the list. So I could see him reading it to himself. He says, oh, yeah. Road Warrior. Road. <laughs> and he turned the page, you know, turned it over. And now, of course, there's a photograph of me. And he goes, hmm. And he looks up at me and I went, you know what? I have a real problem with the dates that you've got for this film. I think I'll be doing something else. <laughs> i just walked out of the room wouldn't do it i just yeah i thought it. and it wasn't that i was being an ass it was like seriously if you don't have the courtesy to know what i do for a living right don't don't bring me in here but the last story i'm going to tell you is the greatest put down in history by my mother <laughs> i don't know if you guys know this or not but the first thing i First major thing I ever did before Road Warrior was a stage play called Hosanna, which was written by Michelle Tremblay, um, a Canadian um, writer, and it's about a transvestite and her boyfriend. Two people in the play, very, very heavy play. So it took a long time to get me to do the play. Turned out to be a smash hit. That started my career. Opening night, my mother's up in the uh, third row, center with my auntie, my brother, my sister. And in this play, my most predominant word is fuck. And I know that my mother's (laughs) most hated word in the English language is fuck. So I'm thinking, I'm in such shit because I know she's going to stand up and say something. Halfway through this play, when I say fuck to like the 90th time, she's just going to stand up and yell at me. So I go out on stage, we do the play, I'm tense all the way through it. Uh, we finish, I go get changed. come down to the, uh, downstairs to the bar, and my mother's there, my auntie and my brother and sister. I walk in, and I walk up to my mother and say so, and she went, very, very good. You were very, but you're wonderful, sweetheart, I loved it, and I said, oh, oh, thank you. And I said, so uh, what, nothing upset you? And she said, no, no, everything was fine. I, I Really enjoyed it. And I went, you sure nothing upset you? And she went, oh, you mean that word? And I said, uh, yeah. And she went, well, the first time you said it, I thought, you knows I don't like that word. Then the second time you said it, I thought, does it again? I'm going to say something. She said, by the fourth, fifth time you said it, I thought, ah, fuck, what's the difference? Just a word. <laughs> <laughs> my mother and then to top it off just to top it up, she's standing there and she's looking at me and she's got her hands on my shoulder and she says i'm very proud of you sweetheart and she's looking in my eyes and her eyes go down my body to my crutch and she goes because i was naked for half the show by the way um her eyes go all the way down to my crutch and she goes and you have grown up haven't you sweetheart That was when I decided that acting just wasn't going to be for me. I had just been totally destroyed by my mother. And my auntie had to be one better. She took me by the hand and told me in most loving terms that I would always be her favorite nephew. And that no matter what happened, I was still her favorite nephew. And I went, gee, thank you, auntie. No, auntie Rose, I'm not gay. I am not. <laughs> Couldn't convince that lady till the day she passed off this earth that I was straight. She was determined. <laughs> so that was the start of my illustrious career, and you know, like two hundred ninety something films later, I'm still trying to live it down.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. I I looked on your IMDb page, and it's like the amount of work you're doing now. You have more. Projects in production now. It's crazy. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners what you got working on for current
1: projects? uh Yeah, I've got, as I said before, I've got a, a western called Death at Sunrise. I've got two westerns actually. One's called Death at Sunrise, and the other one is a, a film that's being done for the Sundance Film Festival. Um, it's a uh, 25 minute short, but it's called Southern Hard. It's about a Southern Colonel who. Uh, runs into the Union forces, gets shot up, manages to escape from them and, and get into a cave to hide, realizes there's somebody else in there with him and discovers that it's the slave girl he grew up with that was his Whoa. slave, that he has not been nice to all her life. And it's a between the two of them, it's, it's the different, he's dying from these wounds that he suffered and she has escaped from the plantation. So she considers herself to be a free woman. And he refuses to accept that because to him, he is still a Southern slave owner and she is his property. And it's just this wonderful back and forth, really tense film, little film that that I love the dialogue. I love the whole thing. And then there's Southern Hard, which I'm doing. Um, I will hopefully be back in Australia doing a film with Guy Pearce. It got put on hold because of the uh, pandemic. And uh, there's a couple of other films over there that I'm scheduled to shoot when all this is over. Um, I've had um, a film I'm very proud of called Trouble Is My Business. If you want to watch a good film, watch Trouble Is My Business, the black and white noir version of it. It's a wonderful, wonderful film.
0: Wait, is that the one you play like a cop or something? Yeah, I
1: play like a, a, a 40s cop, a, um, a Californian cop who was very corrupt, very dirty. And um,
0: I've read about that one. I, I want to watch
1: it. Yeah, it's a really and the black and watch the black and white version because it is film noir, so it suits. It was shot nice. in black and white, and it's really really nice. And then there's another one that just came out called. Um, Landfall, which I shot in Australia, which is just a really cool, cool movie, which um, I really had a lot of fun doing. Um, there's quite a lot of, I mean, I finished four films before we got locked down. So there's a lot wow. of stuff coming out the, in the next few months that I've done. I just, you know, I, I keep working probably more now than I ever have. And the funny thing is I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who, who tends to put me in his films. And I asked him why he liked working with me. And he said, it's obvious you finally grew up. <laughs> and the funny thing was, he's actually telling the truth because I used to be so unsure of myself, so insecure. So, and and I would play out, you know, because of that fact, because I was always afraid of what I was doing. And then eventually I got to a point where, I just said, you know, fuck it. It is what it is. I am what I am. I and am what I am. Yep. And I just went for it. And from that moment on, I relaxed and I was just working and continually working and working. And it just got to where it is now. And um, I just, you know, I love what I do. I have a, a hell of a lot of fun doing it. I get up every morning and love going to the set and enjoying myself. And I get to work with some of the most interesting Amazing people um i I always remember fact um Arnold Schwarzenegger had a party at his house after we did uh, commando. I got invited to go, and um one of my all time favorite favorite actors was there and clint eastwood and, okay. and i and of course he knew that, so he he took me across and introduced me to mr eastwood and uh, I just sort of stood there and looked at him with my mouth open. And didn't say a good <laughs> and looked like a total idiot. And then I walked away going, What the fuck did I do? You were the guy in the elevator. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a couple of hours later when everybody on the party is starting to wrap up a little bit, I hear this voice, you know, Bun and and you know, he's like six foot five. He's a big boy. So I kind of look over and he's leaving and he's standing and he's above the crowd and he looks at me and he goes, Wonderful talking to you. Hope we can do it again. <laughs> yeah, came full came full circle. Like, you know, <laughs> that takes away any enthusiasm for life you had; it just drains out of you. <laughs> but um, that's great. It's, it's one of those, you know. I I just love the fact that I am who I am. I I was on the set doing a film. It was a Steven Spielberg film that he had it was exactly producing. But he was in london uh directing um batteries not included and the the film that I was doing was um inner space. We were doing inner Space, and uh, I was on the set, and the directors saying to me, "Vernon, can you back up a bit, back up uh, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, so I'm backing up." and he says, "No, no, I need you to back up further." And I'm thinking, you know, I'm I'm going to be the small thing in the friggin' shot in a minute. I'll be about a bit. <laughs> like, you know, how fucking far can I go? So I'm backing up, and of course, I back into somebody. And I turn around, and Stephen Spielberg he's sitting in a chair watching. And I turn around and go, Oh my God, uh, uh, Mr. Spielberg, um, uh, um, um, I I uh, I adored um, uh, your film about the alien phone home and. Stephen to this day, if I run into him, reminds me of that moment in my life where the only thing I could think of to say was "phone home." <laughs> like, yeah, you know, sometimes it's ah, you think somebody's up there and they have a really warped sense of humor, that's, and they think on some of awesome us man. and just kick the shit out of us. But you know what, guys? I seriously, I don't want to hold you up all night because I just, I just love what i do and being on these shows and talking to guys like you and having fun with you and yes my beard looks really good and yours looks terrible both of you
0: (laughs) (laughs) verna you're you're honestly like as far as first time judges go you not just because you gave me the win i mean that happens a lot anyway but (laughs) you were really fucking good because a lot of judges need to like write shit down and like Oh, uh, what did they have? You remembered at the end of each round what we said, and then you went back and you retorted about this and that. You're an amazing judge. You can come <laughs> back here anytime you want. I love telling these, you. Well, I don't love telling my stories, but I love listening to yours. So you can come back anytime you want. We'd love to have you back.
2: Yeah, we'd love to work with you again, man. I mean, you're all grown up now. So.
1: <laughs> and we're almost there. I, I, yeah, well, hey, don't push it, man. It's horrible when you get here. There's nowhere else to go. <laughs> um, and then people expect all this shit from you like you're an adult. like, oh come on, give me a break. But no, I seriously I do. I love it and I'm so, so happy to be um on on shows and talking to people and and, and being able to talk to the you know, it's that whole thing. He never finishes a sentence A dumb shit. Um <laughs> it's being able to talk to the people who watch what we do and like what we do because I don't care who you are or who you think you are without the audience and the people who do do the downloads who do the streaming who buy the DVDs who put their asses on seats in cinemas and go to the the conventions and things to see you you are nobody and you know that's the point we are nobody these people make us who we are and they keep us there and we should respect that that they are why we do what we do and you know i just love talking to them i love being on these shows where people get to ring in or or listen to the show and have fun because all it is it's a lot of fun i mean you know come on yeah
0: for real anytime you want to come back if you have an open schedule if we're on in the next pandemic because i'm <laughs> sure you have like, 87 <laughs> movies in a row so uh, it's, it's like if you have time for us
1: i always have time for the people i like it's it's that's the the nice thing about being who I am now is it, I only have to work with the people I like, so you know I can have a lot more fun. And, and the one with the big boobs that we talked about, Selma, I, I oh God, ugh. I would work with her in a heartbeat. You know they wouldn't have to pay me; all they'd have to do was say, "We promise there will be one scene where she reveals a breast to you." I, I, I'll I'll do it. <laughs>
2: Well, on that pleasant note, Duelers, we're going to end this episode right here. Again, we want to thank our Judge Vernon Wells for coming on tonight, being an excellent judge. But if you've missed an episode, you can always head back to DuelingDecades.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can subscribe on Spotify. Make sure you drop a review for the show. Let people know what you thought about our celebrity guest judge, Vernon Wells. So until next time, Duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Podcast New York. York. Be heard.